0: You're listening to The Diary of Louise Tomorrow, Chapter Two. If you really pay attention to pain, then you learn it requires a kind of quarantine. My pain requires that I'm alone with it. It's like a newborn that needs to be held close to my breast. The way hands are held close to the heart during prayer. These are the first days of winter. Cold enough that all I can think of is fire, fire, fire. In Norse mythology, Halyo is a being. She's the daughter of Loki. To be with her is to die. To go to her is to die. I try to pronounce it right. Halyo, Halyo, Halyo. I know that there's a vulgarity about my situation. A sick girl doing the things I do. People want you to suffer politely. They want you to be an upstanding citizen while the whole system collapses beneath you, while your tendons dissolve and your skeleton aches. And there's so much time spent with doctors, doctors, doctors. You become someone else in a body that fails you. You become unconcerned with the future. Your old ideas of someday are replaced by a jackal who's only biding his time. People look into my window as they pass by on the street, probably thinking it's too early for a Christmas tree. But the tree's not for me, it's for the jackal so he can stay warm, so he can see in the dark, so that before he eats, he remembers to pray. My favorite client is Joel Reeves, a retired firefighter from North Carolina. He speaks with a soft Southern drawl that's comforting and vaguely threatening. He's on his second round of chemotherapy, which, Joel tells me after a tormented fuck isn't gonna stop me. Sometimes I imagine being at his funeral. I wonder where I would stand, and how I'd answer the question, so how did you know Joel? Joel is my favorite because he makes no demands of me. He simply calls and pays me for my time. When it's all over, he says with a kind of peace, That was wonderful, thank you very much. Joel's manners make me feel like I've done him a public service. So I always return them and tell him, you're very welcome. That's both of us trying to make this as painless as possible. Last night, I went to see Ainsley. We talked about the Norse mythology class he's teaching at the university. Well, he talked and I said a few vague things that he didn't really listen to. I have a surprise for you. Ainsley breathed into my neck. When clients say they have a surprise, it's never a pair of tickets to Disney World, unless of course they want to fuck you at Disney World. I took the longest possible drag of my cigarette running through the list of surprises possible in this line of work. I didn't get very far because Ainsley's fat wife, whose name he's never mentioned and I've never learned, ambled into the room. The rolls on her neck spilled over a dog collar I almost didn't see, and she wore a vulgar red lipstick that was bleeding into the corners of her mouth. Surprise. Ainsley attached a leash to the wife's collar. She got down on her knees, crawled over to me like an overfed basset hound, and looked me up and down with irritating fascination. I felt like a zoo animal. And then I felt guilty, somehow, like I should have been trying to put her at ease. In her bodice and makeup, she was trying her best to appear familiar with what she was about to undertake. I should have had compassion for her predicament, being rolled up in all this. But then Ainsley handed the leash to me and said, spit in her face. I searched the fat wife's eyes for some kind of pleading entreaty that indicated that he pressured her into this. Some flicker of light that said, don't, 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 like a dying neon sign. I stood in front of her, waiting for the slightest hint of reluctance, which would mean a convenient out for what was sure to be a fiasco. Ainsley came up behind me and grabbed me by the throat. I felt his chubby fingers closing around my windpipe, imagined him shaking the hands of all of his graduating students at this year's convocation. And as my air supply was cut off, I thought, I should probably stop smoking. I leaned back into Ainsley and closed my eyes, dreaming of the sleep that would cleanse me of all this. I said, spit, he growled into my ear. I could hear his dry lips cracking around each word. The wife, who'd been watching from the ground, was creaming herself by now. Do it, she said. The rest of the night devolved into an orgiastic play of violence so barbarically enacted, I felt that it explained the circuitry of evil human hearts, medieval torture devices, the gulags. It wasn't what was inside of Ainsley or his fat wife that disturbed me. It was the things I did and the fat wife's tears that meant nothing to me. I collected my money and walked out the door. At home, I sat cross-legged on the ground. The dog, who had somehow got a hold of the star on the top of the tree and chewed it to pieces, watched me, expecting I had the energy to mete out some kind of punishment. I stroked his head and thought about the gulags some more. Then, I laid out the evening selection of anticonvulsants. On the subject of these, I was told, they should be taken every day, whether or not you feel pain. At the time, it seemed like a dumb idea to obliterate myself without reason. Now I understand. A slow build makes this all easier. To get more content from Louise's Diary, visit Instagram at louisetomorrow. Diaries read by Madeline sims Viewer, Edited by Dan Sacco. Music by Jack Carlyle. Produced with the support of the Canada Council for the Arts.